In The Body and Pain, The Making and Unmaking of the World, Elaine Scarry writes about torture as a process of unmaking, of the disintegration of language into pain and pain into spectacle and spectacle into power. She writes about display being weaponized, display both of the torture to the public and display of the weapons of torture to the victims. She notes, Testimony given by torture victims from many different countries almost inevitably includes descriptions of being made to stare at the weapon with which they were about to be hurt. The looking is essential. Torture is a process which not only converts but announces the conversion of every conceivable aspect of the event and the environment into an agent of pain, Scary writes. It is not accidental that in the torture's idiom, the room in which the brutality occurs was called the production room in the Philippines, the cinema room in South Vietnam, and the blue-lit stage in Chile. St. Catherine of Alexandria, a teenage martyr who died around 305 BCE, is memorialized forever with the instrument of her torture. Even in death, she is always touching it, or rather, it is always touching her. Her portraits and icons show it being held by her, leaning against her body. It is her emblem and takes her as its namesake, this object that hurt her. In perpetuity, the instrument of her torture is materially connected with her body, not just reminding us of her pain, but making it inescapable for her too. Saints are often pictured with elements from their hagiographies so that their stories may be more easily identified and remembered by viewers, particularly illiterate viewers of ages past. There is a language to icons that becomes readable. A martyr, for example, may be easily seen by the palm frond that they hold. Many saints remind us of the brutality of their deaths through these images. Saint Agatha holds her breasts twisted and ripped from her body on a plate in offering to the viewer. Often they end up looking more like the ends of baguettes than the jellied viscera that would have resulted from her torture. Apollonia holds the pliers that were used to pull the teeth out of her head. St. Bartholomew is pictured not as a holy man, but as an écorché, a defleshed figure wearing his skin as a delicate cloak around his body, a demure concealment of the depths of his nakedness. Sometimes, Instead of draping it around his figure, Bartholomew holds his dangling skin suit aloft, seeming to say, Look at what they have taken from me. Similarly, St. Catherine sits next to the breaking wheel that not just debased her, but took her as its namesake. Breaking wheels, now usually referred to as Catherine wheels, were a popular form of torture from antiquity through the Middle Ages, and they were created primarily as most forms of torture were, to inflict prolonged and public agony and humiliation. A victim of the breaking wheel would be first physically injured with the heavy wheel, beaten and bones broken before being tied to it, their smashed limbs threaded through the spokes. The wheel would then be mounted at the top of a mast, whereupon an executioner could decide if beheading, further beating, or burning would best suit the victim. The breaking wheel was very popular in Europe, particularly for traitors, highwaymen, and thieves. The last known execution by wheel was in Prussia in 1841, but 
In the 1750s, American colonists in New York and Louisiana murdered enslaved people with the wheel. Once in front of St. Louis Cathedral in New Orleans. For all of this, the cruelty and the spectacle were paramount. In Catherine's hagiographies, it is written that she was not actually tortured. God intervened and shattered the wheel as she touched it, sparing her from its horrors. I think it feels unlikely that she would be so lucky. In icons, Catherine is always pictured with the object of her torture. Sometimes the wheels are full size and spiked and she leans against them, a little defiant and a little weary, as in Caravaggio's 1598 portrait of her. Sometimes the wheels are small and she holds them aloft, and in later pictures, the wheels are broken, a miracle and a reprieve. But often they are whole and functional, ready to be used. Always. Always they are touching her. I wonder when she is allowed to forget. I like Elaine Scarry's description of the three stages of torture. She writes, first, pain is inflicted on a person in ever-intensifying ways. Second, the pain continually amplified with the person's body is also amplified in the sense that it is objectified, made visible to those outside the person's body. Third, the objectified pain is denied as pain and read as power, a translation made possible by the obsessive mediation of agency. What does this mean for Catherine, for Agatha, or Apollonia, or Bartholomew? They were martyred, not just killed, but truly tortured for their faith. Their devotees have honored them by centralizing not just the idea of this brutality, but the image of it. I've been thinking recently about the incredulity of St. Thomas. I've been thinking about Thomas sticking his fingers into the wounds of Jesus to prove that they were real. I've been thinking about St. Catherine pictured forever with the object that hurt her and feeling incredulous. Jesus is also pictured forever with the instrument of his torture. In art and in text, people need to stick their hands in his wounds. We see Jesus and we see all the holes in him. The phrase doubting Thomas originates from a story in the Gospel of John. Thomas the Apostle doubts the resurrection of his friend and says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, Jesus appears to him and tells him to touch him, to put his fingers where the nails were, to stick his fingers inside of him. Because you have seen me, you have believed, Jesus says. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I think here of the Jenny Holzer piece. With all the holes in you already, there's no reason to define the outside environment as alien. The most famous depiction of Thomas's story is Caravaggio's 1601 painting, The Incredulity of St. Thomas. There are actually two versions of this painting. One, a secular version, shows Jesus's exposed thigh. This was far too scandalous. A thigh in a painting of God guiding a man's hand into his open wound. So a second version exists where Jesus is covered. In both paintings, Thomas is eye level with the wound. 
He stares directly into it as Jesus holds his hand, guiding Thomas's finger into his opening. With all the holes in you already. Elaine Scarry writes that observation is key to torture. It has to be seen by the torturer, by the tortured. In this moment, Jesus has already been tortured, already died and been resurrected. Still, the observation is important. Thomas stares, mouth agape, as his finger enters the reality of the wound. Jesus' face is in the shadow, his eyes are downcast, his lips are parted. He holds Thomas's wrist delicately as it enters his body. In 1993, the American artist Jenny Holzer exhibited her work Lust Mord as a response to the ongoing war crimes in Bosnia. Lust Mord is a German word that describes a sexual murder. In this work, Holzer presents a crime from three perspectives, the victim, the perpetrator, and the observer. Holzer writes the lines of a poem describing a sexual murder onto the skin of women. The lines are presented out of joint and the ink bleeds into the skin. They're close-up photos. You can't identify the people from these pictures. You only know that they have bodies. In the center of the work, there is a wooden table with carefully arranged bones of a woman. They are laid out meticulously for the viewer here. Here is the entirety, the aftermath. The crime has happened, and you are seeing it now. In an article for the Welcome Collection, Taryn Kane writes, The bones in Lustmore were purchased from a dealer in New York and laid out how they would be in a morgue. Disconcertingly, all of the bones represent a part of the body we would normally associate with beauty and sensuality. Teeth, shoulders, thighs, ribs, the back, fingers, the pelvic area. Several of the bones wear rings engraved with text from the poem in both English and German, all intermixed, making it difficult to immediately identify which is the perpetrator, which is the victim, and which is the observer. They make me think about St. Catherine, whose body never escapes the object of its ending. We are always looking, and she's always being touched. They make me think of Jesus, his friends, so doubting of him that he had to feel around inside with his fingers. My favorite line of the poem in Les Mord is, with you inside me comes the knowledge of my death. This is All Miracles Are Strange. My name is Liz Hamilton, and you can find me on social media under my name, My theme song is an altered version of an 1888 wax cylinder recording of Handel's Israel in Egypt, one of the earliest known recordings of the human voice. If you'd like to read notes or see images from All Miracles Are Strange, you can sign up for my substack, which is listed, I think, under both my name and All Miracles Are Strange. If you'd like to support my work, both this podcast and my studio practice, you can find me on Patreon. I think this podcast will switch to an every-other-week posting schedule for the time being as I deal with some very time-consuming personal issues relating to a relative's health. Um, But any updates or changes will be posted on my substack, so that's probably the best source for any news. 
thank you all for all of the support and time and attention and special and sincere thanks to Leshy who signed up for the $10 tier of my Patreon. Your support is invaluable and I'm so grateful. Thank you.